Welcome to the Meltzone Podcast. This is episode 32 from Monday, March 23rd, 2020. As always, the information we are portraying today is as of today. And when you're listening to this, might be out of date. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And on this, well, really long episode today, but uh, content-packed episode, we are talking about... Uh, that well we both have been live streaming at the weekend uh tom was unboxing a two-year-old 3d printer i was well doing game live streaming with my new vr set and we are talking about a little bit the vr experience i had with my oculus rift and also what 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 uh yeah, tom what, what tom's opinion is is on that um fusion 360 has now integrated a FFF slicer and we just discuss what the opportunities are that we are getting with this implementation if, and if it's really worth using it at the moment. Uh, and then we also discuss about my recent videos, which is which where 80% of the comments are use a gearbox for your hand crank shredder. And is that really a, a good idea? And could this gearbox be 3d printed i don't know let's see we'll find out in the news section of course there's one big topic that is uh you know in everyone's mind right now uh we talk about what the 3d printing community is doing uh to help and we also talk about the new and improved thingiverse uh it looks like they are actively working on it for now and yeah that that may be a good thing we'll see uh as always, we are also asking, asking, no, you guys are asking the questions. We are answering them uh, first and foremost about the Formlabs resins and how much energy that is actually putting into the resin versus a LCD printer, whether it's more or less and what goes into uh, that, whether it's actually a high power resin or not. And uh, 3D printed CNCs. It's a topic that comes up every now and then. And uh, yeah, we discuss which material and design principles would be best for you know printing a subtractive machine, a CNC. Yeah. Um, other questions are: Does E3D actually do quality control on their parts? Yeah, we both visited E3D in the past, and uh, we'll tell you if they are or if, or if they aren't. Um, Fusion three sixty has the FFF slicer now integrated? Will it uh, now also implement non-planar 3D printing? Um, another question, white PLA, white filament in general, does is white material more tricky to 3D print or is it just an optical illusion? Uh, also, curing 3D printed parts in water or in glycerin? Is that helping? And what is behind that question? And at last, uh, 3D printing thread profiles to connect parts together. Uh, do we prefer trapezoidal pipe machine threads and whatever there are available? Where, where do we even start this one? Yeah. I don't really know. It was really nice seeing you yesterday live streaming again. That was kind of uplifting. 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's been like four months since I've last live streamed. Um, <laughs> but the studio is there, everything's set up. So I thought, like, well, what better what better time than now to do something that that feels normal, I guess. Yeah. And it was it was it was fun hanging out with people. Yeah. That's what what live streams are for for me, and I think for most viewers. Yeah, and if you don't have to do all of the all of the setup, uh, it it's not as much work or not at least not a like a whole day of work to to get everything running and uh yeah put everything back together so yeah you've been streaming for two and a half hours um yeah really cool short stream for my <laughs> for, for my means yeah uh print is behind me of a yz20 it's kind of a you know standard chinese printer though again it's not that's one of the printers that gearbest has just been sending me um that was almost two years ago, I think now, um, where they just started sending me random crap where that I had never agreed to receiving or I never requested. Okay. Um, and those were the three printers that I had on that stream um, that they had sent me. And apparently people wanted the, the mystery one, which turned out to be uh, the U20. And that's like... A... <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't get excited for those sort of printers, um, uh, well, especially from that time where everything's a CR10 clone. Yeah, I can see it just from the back, and it's yeah, it's basically a CR10, not even the CR10S clone. So uh, just yeah. one single Z lead lead screw, yeah. um, the separate box on the side, N nothing yeah, really that which special. Is horribly big. It's thirty two bit, uh, okay. but it's running a proprietary firmware. I think. Uh, it's running on uh, an ST STM32 F103 processor, um, which I I don't know if that's even supported by by Marlin. Um, but it's I I know that processor is like the standard cheap 32-bit processor. Um, <laughs> it's used in, in in old flight controllers and stuff. Uh, okay, a lot. Um, it's got a proprietary interface, and it, it yeah it prints. It doesn't print particularly well. It's like a very very. You know, hard to get excited about it because it's just it's the same as every other printer from that area. Okay. From that from that era. Sorry. Okay. It, <laughs> it's interesting. So I have a U30 Pro, which is basically an Ender 3 clone. Okay, so it's a smaller machine. It's the smaller machine, but this one is pretty nice, besides also the same problem with the connection to the heated bed which just yeah. soldered in place, no strain re relief at all. But they have a really nice um, color touch LCD screen next to it. And uh, yeah, w which which makes the unit look really nice from the outside. But this one just, yeah, looks looks like two years old. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it is. Uh, it is. It, is. <laughs> it, it has been sitting... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's it's been literally sitting in in the box unopened for this entire time. So <laughs> people are commenting, "Oh, like yeah, disinfected and stuff." No, it's like anything that's been on this thing is dead long, long <laughs> before I open it. Okay. Um. So yeah, it does have a, a color touch screen on it, but it's it's like uh, what is that? Two and a half or three three inch, three point two inch screen or something okay. that size. Uh, viewing angles are horrible. The interface is is usable. Like um, the, I, I do like the bed leveling assistant where it just moves the the nozzle mm -hmm. to one corner. That's it's kind of nice. It's usable, but it it looks like your generic uh, Chinese interface. Like um, what it actually reminds me of for my uh, Nintendo DS, I had the G4 Flash cartridge, which allowed you to run homebrew games okay. on the thing. 
Uh, and the interface that would boot up on the on the DS's screen uh, looks almost identical to what's on this printer. <laughs> so the same the same text styling, okay. the same iconography, the same just feel to it. It's, it's like a very generic feeling interface. <laughs> same Chinese Whatever. company where it probably came from. I don't know. So what are you going to do with it so. now? Uh, good question. <laughs> Next question, please. <laughs> I mean, can you use it for be, something behind interesting? Me this, this, the, behind me, there's a pile of printers that I'm not using, anyways. There's the ANET E10, there's the, the genuine uh, CR10, there's the Ender 3. Those are all printers that um, are, you know, I've, I've, I've talked about that on the live stream and on the Patreon hangout before that. I've got so many printers, but most of them are just a pain to use because either they're, they're not printing all that well or, you know, they, they've got issues with the hot end clogging or I need to set up profiles for them every time. So most of my stuff, are stuff, most of my stuff, I just print on the Mark III because that's a printer that, that that's always ready. Mm. You load up Prusa Slice and it prints very well yeah. uh, with no tuning, with no effort. It's just such a, such an easy to use machine. Yeah, it's, ex- uh. it, it's, Exactly the same for me. I have one, I have a Mark III here in my office and another Mark III in my hotbox in the basement. And there is no real reason for me to use other printers than those because they're working so well with Prusa Slicer. Uh, Print results are usually good. I have been printing like eight different materials over the last couple of days, nylon, PC, whatever. Everything was wa- working basically flawless. So oh, uh, look, no. look at us, Prusa show. Uh, <laughs> we're in our element here. Uh, no, I've, but but again, it's uh, if you look at it at the user's perspective, obviously mm. the Mark III is uh, mm. like three to four times as expensive as that thing, and it's slightly smaller. So yep. there is. Uh, it's it's again just again, the it's, thing that you got used to using. Um, if you have only an Ender three, and I have been printing with my Ender 3 for for the review for like a couple of weeks, it was working well. And uh, if you have everything set up, it's also more or less just just plug and play. Um, But yeah, it it depends what you want to do. If you're just printing PLA and PTG and stuff like that, uh, if the worker, uh, if the printer is basically working well, yeah, that's that's mostly sufficient. Yeah. The now the the question the question I guess I have for that as a discussion topic is um, this is a two year old printer basically so this feels very much like every other printer like there's nothing that stands out about this machine because it's it's just the same type of build the same uh, open build style V slot rails uh, the same crappy extruder Bowden setup with uh, with a flawed hot and probably um, has stuff changed like you have the artillery sidewinder x1 yep uh is that is that a printer that that feels like it's just built better or built more with with more attention to detail than than what we used to have or is it still that same generic feel um it's not feeling as generic as this one because especially for the sidewinder the cable management they did with the flat flex cables was something we haven't seen on many printers before. Uh, just yesterday, down in my basement, I was just taking an, a look at my Mendel 90 again, which is also... I was going to bring that up, yeah. Yeah, because the Mendel 90 was using that already like six, seven years ago. It was it was great. It was just looking nice and clean and everything. So yeah. uh, 
also well nowadays with where you have well the electronics box mostly mostly under the printer i think this is a bit of an evolution of the generic Sear 10 design because not all of the wires are just hanging around everywhere. Uh, so yeah, your U20 looks really old, really like two, three years old. Uh, and there have let me been... let me look <laughs> let me look up what they're what they're actually selling right now. If it if it's still if it's still the same printer. Uh, if we can get all the DSEO China-focused uh, China websites out of the way. No, it looks like it's... Oh, it's the U20 Pro. Okay. That's a different one. So that has the electronics integrated. Um, so the same as the CR10 Pro where you have this big box possibly. below the printer? Yeah, so it looks like it's on a bit, bit of a pedestal. Um, but yeah, the U20 looks like it's basically yeah basically still the same thing yeah well they're still manufacturing the anet a8 i think yeah so <laughs> if, yeah. if there's no need and people are still buying the machine yeah why change something yeah um so did you um do you know have your your live streaming setup all in one place and it's basically just the studio that you use for for live streaming or is that the that the place that where you also just shoot your normal videos so how yeah, so how much work is going into setting up your live stream setup um i can maybe point the camera i can point your camera a bit further over here so you can maybe see, oh yeah, now the big barrel of the lens is in the way, but I, I guess you, you at least can make out what's happening. So it's the same studio setup as I use for my regular videos. Mm -hmm. Obviously I'm using the same camera, the same main camera and the teleprompter. Yeah. Um, let me just, uh, we've got video chat going so you can kind of see what's going on. Yeah, there, there's the teleprompter just behind the lens barrel. Mm -hmm. that's, the same, that's the main camera that just plugs in through HDMI into my streaming computer. Then there's a camera up on the ceiling that's on a C stand with a boom. Um, that's my top camera. That's always there. And then over here, um, you can just see the, the grip mm -hmm. of my tripod. There's the B camera. And then I have a C camera behind the printer that's actually attached to the to the table permanently. Mm -hmm. So it is really just my, my regular um, studio that I also use for recording my, my regular videos as well. I just uh, boot up my uh, streaming computer and plug in my cameras and that's it so the two the top and the side camera those are always plugged in mm -hmm. those are my old panasonic g7s and then i've got my main gh5 and the side camera um that just plug into hdmi and that's it yeah so live streaming for me really is once i get obs working which is the the biggest issue <laughs> um and now that i have all my hardware figured out it's really easy to to boot up uh from the from the technical side of course there's still the uh organizational thing where um not only do you have to prepare the stream on youtube and get all the description and, and all that sorted out before i start streaming um i also need to be in the zone for a live stream mm -hmm. i've canceled live streams before just because i wasn't feeling you know like mm -hmm. i had the energy to do a, a three or four hour live stream um but yeah this is very much my, my regular studio there's, if you look at the floor right now, you can you can barely make it through because there's so many HDMI cables and extension cords and all that. <laughs> um, but yeah, every everything is is 
set up and, and takes just a few clicks to, to get going. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if you have noticed, but I also tried live streaming on Friday. <laughs> so I've, i don't think i got a notification for that no well i i didn't do it like officially on my on my youtube channel so for friday actually my my bachelor is this bachelor party was planned my, yeah yeah my bachelor party was planned well we had to cancel it since lockdown and mm-hmm. stuff like that mm-hmm. and just common human sense so i thought yes okay um, maybe do something different and i have yeah my 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 vr setup now let's try live streaming a game <laughs> from vr from vr um which wow. was really interesting because well it took me around an hour just to, to set everything up to have also the chat messages being visible in in vr yeah yeah uh and it was working kind of okay for the first like 20 or 25 minutes. And then I don't know why, if it was the game or if it was my PC, but then it got so slow and I had had to cancel it because everything was was laggy and stuff like that. But yeah, right. I tried live streaming. I just posted it on Twitter and to a couple of friends. Not that not that many people were watching, and uh, I think it wasn't wasn't that great as well. But uh, I, I, it's an experiment. It's it's something something to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, you're just doing you're just doing basically what's vi- what's visible on your computer screen. Yes. Uh, that that secondary view. You've got the Oculus S. I have right? the Oculus Rift S. Well, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so I had like on, on the main screen, just the view from, well, what I could see, like one eye of those. And then I had just a small secondary window with, uh, an outside camera showing the room where I was doing right. weird gestures. <laughs> so were, were you in, in typical, uh, VR style where you're in your underwear and, uh, just wildly flinging stuff around <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like a maniac was, was that the, the experience? Or? Uh, <laughs> Not just underwear. I was wearing a little bit more, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, I, I, I thought that's like the the typical VR etiquette that you're. Okay. <laughs> I well, I don't really watch that much game live streaming to be honest. So I'm probably not not a pro in setting my setup right. But it it was kind of fun. Yeah, I do have <laughs> the Oculus Rift S, and I wanted to get a vr gear for for quite a while but i just always thought okay ah you have so much to do and you can't really afford well investing time in in just more gaming at the moment and then at around christmas or before christmas when half-life alex was announced announced i thought okay now you definitely have to buy one latest in march before Half well, before the new Half Life game is, comes out. Yeah. Uh, is is released uh, in January, there were some really good deals, but I I don't know. I just thought, okay, wait a couple of weeks more. It's gonna be fine. Uh, not that many people are are investing in VR, but then just like two or three weeks ago, I thought, okay, now it's really the time to to buy a couple of goggles, but they were all sold out in in Germany. The the thing is with the with Oculus Quest, um, my my dad's family and yeah. my sister they actually managed to get one before Christmas. Yeah. Um, so I got to try that out. I I do also have uh, I do have the original Vive, okay, uh, the HTC Vive, which is 
if you've never used it before, if you've never used VR before, it's like, oh, this is actually working really well. Mm. I, I expected it to be, you know, laggy and, and, and glitchy and whatever, but it's the tracking is actually really good. And then I put on the Quest, which is its own Oculus, Oculus yeah. Quest, it's, it's its own uh, computer and rendering system in the goggles, so you don't have any wires uh, that you tether to. And it works just as well, if not better. Mm. It's really fluid. It's really nice not to be tethered to anything, and it's it's just a really smooth experience. And it's also just doing camera tracking, mm. which I think the Oculus S is doing as well. Yes. And I'm surprised how well that works. Um, it, obviously, now with a Quest, you could do you could do the um, the tethered uh, streaming as well, but I'm mm. not sure how well that works, and it's still sold out. Yeah, it's still sold out. So both were sold out. Out. So the thing was, somebody was telling me on Twitter because I complained that I couldn't get one anymore there were i think some available in munich at, at notebooks billiger but i yep. called them and they said okay they're not like sending them out i have to go physically to munich to get it so i thought right. okay screw it uh, and then somebody was telling me that konrad in austria was still Ooh. still had stock of i think 10 goggles or something like that then i purchased them from uh, purchased the goggles from from uh, from Konrad, and then just a day later, I got an email. Okay, we are not sending our stuff to Germany. Buy at Konrad Germany. <laughs> okay, <laughs> screw it. Cool. Uh, then, well, I'm living quite close to the border to Austria, and uh, just a friend of mine lives in Austria, and I, I ask him, "Hey, can I send something to you, and then pick it up, or you send it to me?" And he said, "Yeah, it, that's okay." So I ordered the the goggles again to his house and they arrived friday a week ago so like 10 days from now or 10 days before now and uh i thought okay after work yeah let's let's just drive to austria it's like a one hour drive for me and and pick it up uh before maybe the borders are closing and just the next day austria said okay uh the borders are closing you are not allowed anymore to to get back or to to get into austria if you don't have a proper reason for it so i'm quite happy that i picked them up and yeah i was playing with them a little bit last week um i was also really impressed um i have been wearing a pair of i think one of the the development kits a couple of years ago which were already impressive but there weren't that many games so far and we only did like sitting experiences but with those goggles now with the controllers that you're having and the games or the experiences that are out now it's just really really impressive and I think I already texted you that one of the things I played was uh, Vader Immortal, which is just like a mini Star Wars series, yeah. which was so impressive in the beginning because the first time you stand in front of Darth Vader, who is like quite a bit bigger than you, uh, yeah. I, I got the shivers. It was as, <laughs> as a Star Wars fan, it was really impressive. Um, yeah that you were standing there you were able to see your hands and you were able to like fling around your your lightsaber awesome and i'm quite happy that i feel i don't get uh, motion sick in vr so 
I did most of the walking around really with the joysticks and did not use uh, like the teleportation system. Yeah. And that just makes it even more immersive. You can walk around, you can kneel down, you can, you are feeling as if you are really in a different world. It's, it's really fascinating. But yeah, um, the what, what games are you, are you going to be playing? So obviously, um, Alex, Half-Life Alex, um, have you looked into what's the uh, Boneworks? I played Boneworks. That was what I streamed at the weekend. Boneworks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's also really cool. Uh, yeah, I, I guess they're, they're, they're kind of piggybacking on the Half, uh, Half-Life Alex uh, hype. Yeah. Uh, then obviously Beat Saber. That's I think if you have a VR headset, you need to have that. I, I didn't. I didn't buy it so far, to be honest. Uh, I didn't get buy it, it so far. It. But I probably since need to since get you're it. not making it out of the house right now yeah. that much, um, it's a really good workout. Okay. <laughs> um, also, obviously, um, check out uh, Ren uh, Ren Weichmann, uh, Corridor Crew. Obviously, yeah. he does a lot of a uh, lot of Beat Sabering. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, but. Yeah, always always impressive to watch. You're not going to be doing that level of of sabering it uh, <laughs> when you start, but yeah, it it's a workout. Yeah. It's a real workout. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to. So, f- like four hours from now, Half Life Alex should be released um, on Steam, <laughs> and I probably going to play it for a couple of hours today. But I am. Well, I'm I'm also a little bit scared because already playing Boneworks and having just like those null bodies next to yeah. you trying to grab you, uh, that that scared me a little, and I don't know if I'm really made for for scary VR experience. So I hope that uh, Half Life Alex is not too dark and not too scary. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm not into into any horror games and stuff oh. at all. Like can't bear that movies also like why 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 would you why would you you know intentionally put yourself in an unpleasant experience like if if i'm gaming i want to have fun yeah um (laughs) yeah for the Uh, thrills yeah i guess if that thrills you Mm. um i guess one one more more recommendation uh super hot vr also very very good game i played through that recently again um it's just a really well designed did you already try out there's I think from Autodesk one VR experience that is I don't know if it's integrated in SolidWorks or in Fusion but where you well, it, it wouldn't be SolidWorks because that's uh that's not Autodesk. Ah that's sorry yeah. Um <laughs> uh but where you can sorry. take a look at your at the CAD that you did and do sections in it and and disassemble it and stuff like that, which I is, not tried is that. really interesting. Uh, I can't remember the name at the moment, but I got the recommend a recommendation from a a couple of other people. So I need to try that okay. out just as as sure, an engineer. That, yeah. Um, and just uh, I guess one one last general note about gaming in general. I I play you know every, every night I play for for one or two hours with a buddy. Uh, right now we're playing multiplayer. Well, nah, we're playing multiplayer. <laughs> I'm only playing multiplayer essentially. Right now we're playing through Borderlands Three. Um, but I I I don't usually take the time to actually play single player games because for me gaming is more of a social thing um, than a you know lay back and and just chill out. I, I also don't watch a lot of Netflix, um, so I do have my VR headset. I do have that typical pile of of shame on Steam of games that you own but you, you you've never played. Um, I just don't find myself 
I guess taking the time to to play stuff uh, on my own because if if I again if I play stuff I, I do it as a as a show, social thing. Um, so it's gonna be interesting how how much use you actually get out of your your goggles mm. in the long run. Probably uh, also not yeah. that much. It's it's I don't know if it's really worth buying a VR set. Well, a VR setup just for like playing a couple of things i i do expect that i won't be using it that much just because there aren't that many experiences at the moment hopefully that's going to be more yeah. with with alex but um still if you can try it out it's it's interesting yes yeah if you do get the chance it is it is quite different yeah. to just uh, sitting on a pc yeah. and, and playing through something and i do enjoy single player games just uh like experience a story on your own so th- in that way i'm a little bit different to you so i no, I'm, i mean I, I used to play a lot of single player stuff too i've i've played the crap out of skyrim uh <laughs> one of my one of my best memories is still uh playing bulletstorm i think i've played through that game three or four times um bulletstorm by by i think epic games like really stupid shooter crazy thing uh really fun to play uh I, I used to play a lot more single player. It's just I I don't take the time anymore. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I also have to like shuffle or or just get some time time free for for doing things like that. But yeah, just you have to intentionally say, hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna chillax now. Yeah. But well, sometimes you just gotta do that. You can't work all day. Yeah. True. But yeah, may, maybe on like, well talking about fusion 360 and and engineering experience yeah you made a video like one and a half weeks ago about the new fusion 360 fff slicer which is now integrated in the manufacturing environment um yeah what what, what's your just maybe summarize your experience that you had watch the video (laughs) uh no um the so okay uh, Autodesk has been scooping up uh, companies and programs for a while. Um, they have bought not Netflix, NetFab, um, which does include a slicer. Most people don't know, but does uh, it include an actually... FFF slicer? Yeah, the the uh, Ultimaker one was actually using NetFab as a slicer. Okay, I didn't know that. Um, back when the only alternative was using Skyforge. Okay, uh, and that was not not very usable. So um, they used NetFab as a slicer completely. Ultimaker one. Um, so I'm not sure how much of that technology is now in Autodesk's Fusion 360. Um, but yeah, it's a slicer that's built into, uh, Fusion now. Um, after the cam workspace, they've also got a, an, or it's the same manufacturing workspace. It's just, you, you select mm. your additive process instead of selecting a, uh, a milling or a turning, uh, process. Yeah, it's a slicer. Like, it, it's, it doesn't do anything special uh besides the infills have to export you besides the infills what's what's with you yeah with all the different infill patterns yeah though um my my verdict on those was basically yeah it's many of them are just novelty yeah um it's also very slow to use just processing Mm. wise um I don't know if that's a, you know, because it's the first release and it's not optimized yet, Mm. but it just takes forever to iterate Mm. your settings. It's a slicer. Yeah, if you, if, 
I guess it's something if you have a uh, if you're an OEM and you want a nice kind of clean integrated uh, slicing solution, you can provide a profile for Fusion 360 and tell your customers, hey, use Fusion to slice your stuff, especially if they are already using it yeah. uh, to design things. Uh, and you don't want to, you know, have them buy or, or include Simplify 3D mm. or have them use Prusa Slicer or Ultimate Cura, mm. where it's another 3D printer manufacturer that you don't want where you don't want their branding in mm. your products as well so i guess it's an option for that but really if you for for us for makers i i don't see much of a reason to use it mm. i think uh, the nice thing is that you you always have the connection to your cat model so as soon as you do a change in cat model it will also update the part in manufacturing this is one of the things what fusion just as the name already suggests it it's a fusion of cam of cad of of simulation where it's good at yeah. and where you will have some kind of a benefit and you don't always have to export an stl file and then load that into another slicer um True. but how how often do you really do that how often do you are, are you already in your slicer and you see yeah. oh i i actually need to change that not, um, not for me by the time i i take my model into the slicer it's done the design is done yeah. <sighs> I well, I sometimes tend to iterate quite a bit with my models, and there it could be a benefit. But for the moment, just the capabilities that you have in Fusion, they are not on par with Cura, Simplify 3D, and and Prusa Slicer. But on the yeah. other hand, um, it is working. It is working. It does work. Uh, That's true. Yeah. Um, one things I one thing I was hoping for what they did not include yet is support for arcs so g yes, g2 that... g3 yeah because clockwise, kind of clockwise i think they are still probably using uh, they are most certainly still using in the background an stl file and process that but on the other hand they also have integration for g2 g3 commands in the normal manufacturing workspace so it yeah would not be a big problem but i don't know if g2 and g3 support is always activated by default in marlin which i think it's not because no slicer is using it i know that it's an uh, option yeah it's it's there but i why would it not be enabled i guess to save some, save some uh, space some flash memory yeah. yeah um but is is it really gonna is that gonna be a benefit uh, i mean when are you actually going to use arcs? So basically, you're going to be using those when you have a like a perfectly vertical column, and you have like a, a not a bevel, a, um, a fillet on on one edge, or if you if you're printing something that is perfectly circular. Yeah. But anything else, anything where you have a fillet on an angle, or yeah. we have non perfectly circular shapes, you can't really do with arcs either. So that's always just going to be an approximation. It's it's just like and, it it would be. It would be usable for, yeah, you said fillets and, and round holes. Um, yeah, well, then obviously, yeah, sure. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot even, the simplest e thing. <laughs> and, even, and even though I don't think that you have a huge benefit uh, for these features, it's just something that people have been asking for for years. And G2 and G3 are supported in Marlin since like forever. But no slicer is yep. using it just because they don't have the information in, in an STL model. But this is something I 
would expect that it might be implemented at some point in in a slicer that really has a cat model in the background. Yeah. And um, if if I remember correctly, some slicer was already able. It might have been Skyforge even um, to like recreate uh, arcs from your STL. Okay. To, just to to approximate if if it detects, hey, this looks like it was an arc mm. at some point. Uh, it would just use uh, a G two and G three to approximate okay. it. Yeah. But, As I said, I don't think that we yeah. have a huge benefit, um, especially if you export your um, STL at a fine resolution. The only benefit that you would have that you would reduce the number of like small print moves. Yeah, uh, so you, you're not overloading your uh, controller on your mainboard, um, but with 32 bits and and all the optimizations that have gone into that. Yeah, it's not not that much. Plus, most slices already break down. Um, or simplify small segments um, into larger segments if they detect, okay, this thing is going to be like 10 microns long. Like there's no benefit in doing a 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Yeah. It's just going to summarize it into one larger move. And I think typically that's like point oh, well, 50 microns or something where it's where it's just consolidating moves. Mm. Um, so that should be in the ballpark where a typical controller is going to handle yeah. it just fine. But the thing is, well, what I'm really looking forward to and I think we'll later get to that when we get to the to the questions. Um, that with all of the information that we have from the CAT model, um, Fusion 360 might be able to implement some really cool things. Maybe non-linear, no, non-planar 3D printing, um, yeah. or things like the tool changer that you can have a subtractive and additive setup just in one place or implement different things that were not possible so far with with other solutions that only worked on the stl file yeah uh i mean what what i've also mentioned in my in my quick video was uh stuff like simulation results uh variable infill um based on where you're going to see the the highest uh stresses in your parts uh that sort of thing just or, or just being able to not not just infill, uh, being able to to vary the shell thickness uh, in certain parts, yeah. stuff like that. I think is is the biggest benefit of not going through STL mm. um, because you just have you have so much more information, so much more data directly available within Fusion Three Hundred and Sixty yeah. that you don't have to to like compress or, or, or throw half of it out once you export it into STL. Yeah. That's probably a very good point. Yeah. Okay, but we're going to get to Fusion uh, later in this video with a quick question. But uh, yeah, that, so much so much of my videos. Let's, let's uh, talk about your videos. <laughs> you, you had, a, you had a, a grinder. You have a grinder now. I do have. You set that up. Is it a grinder or Phil- a shredder? <sighs> I don't know. I guess technically it's a grinder yeah. would be a... Yeah, yeah, I guess. It's, it's probably sh- shredding. Yeah, so in my last video, I showed my new hand cranked shredder that I want to use for just chopping down material and try to extrude it from my filler extruder or the pellet extruder. Um, Yeah, it's hand cranked because I don't have a lot of space down in my workshop and I don't want to have like a huge motor next to it that, well, in the end, I'm not able anymore to just carry it around and put it somewhere where it's, it's, well, not taking up too much place. And Probably, I think 80% of the comments are just 
add a gearbox to it. And 50% of those 80% is 3D print yourself a gearbox. <laughs> um, gear down for what? Gear down for what, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, of course, I thought about that during the process, especially because I need that much work and such a huge hand crank to, uh, yeah, to just to to get the amount of torque that is necessary to shred the material but um adding gears is not like super simple i i would have needed to manufacture myself some kind of a substructure to to get the bearings and stuff like that that everything just stays in place um just print it sorry just print it <laughs> just print it <laughs> the th right the thing is when when I have a lot of material in that machine, it easily takes 500 newton meters to shred through material. So it's a huge amount of force so that you need. Uh, or is that 500 newton meters on on the crank input yes. uh, for you? Because you, I mean, 500 newton meters that that's like a that's a pretty long lever that you need that's to to just crank all of it. my weight on like an 80 centimeter crank okay so that's that's yeah, basically I, I know how much um, i know how much torque it is uh just for for wheel bolts and for your your hub nut yep. uh which is 350 newton meters yep. on most cars that's quite a lot of torque and if you're saying 500 you, you you're really mm. putting your weight into that so yes you could have a like a transmission or a gearbox that has a reduction of one to a hundred or something like that. But on the one hand, yeah, that's possible to print, but at some point the gears will see those, or at least the last gear will see those 500 Newton meters. And there is no way that a plastic 3D printed part can take that amount of torque, especially at the location where it is then transmitted into the shaft of the shredder. Okay, so I already mentioned uh, in our pre-show talk um, <laughs> that I do have have some input yeah. on that. So for my my DIY filament extruder um, that I had built many many years ago, um, I also do have a three D printed um, well gearing system. I think I'm, I've now got a, a pulley on there. But anyways, um, on the main uh, spiral snake drill thing, my main auger. Um, I've got a, a 3D printed gear on there. So what I did was I didn't just attach the gear to the drill or to the shaft itself, but I turned up a aluminum adapter mm -hmm. that basically is just a disc with a few screw yeah. holes that then attaches to the 3D printed part. And that then clamps down onto your shaft. So if you're going to do a 3D printed gear, yes, you can do a 3D printed gear, but you are going to need some sort of metal uh, centerpiece yeah or have a really long mm. uh, interface between your gear um, and your uh, and your shaft. Now, a, a 3D printed gear can definitely take the forces that are involved. It's just, it's going to need to be huge. Yeah. Uh, you're going to need very wide uh, or, or thick yeah. teeth, and it's also going to need to be a very large diameter yeah. just to to get the, the lever, mm. um, just, just to get some extra leverage. So you could definitely do it, Maybe get a laser cut uh, center hub yeah. or something, um, and then have a yeah have a have a turned piece in the middle just to transfer that from okay. your your sheet yeah. to a to the hub. Would be a nice project. Would be a nice project. Probably but probably practical. Some something like this diameter of a gearbox. It might be interesting. But on the other hand, you also need to consider that if you have a one to a hundred ratio gearbox, the efficiency 
of those big reductions is usually really yeah. really bad so in the range of like 30 40 if you're if yeah. you're lucky like 50 percent so typically at those ratios you are using a, a warm drive uh gearbox yeah. because it's it just i mean you're gonna have like a three or four stage um gearbox yeah. if you just use regular but the, uh, spare gears and stuff but the problem but, with the warm gear is that it's even less efficient it's even less efficient because the warm gear is always really like um it's sliding over the normal spur yeah. gear and with plastics and maybe a bad friction coefficient that's not good like 60 percent of the power you're putting uh in it on the one side will just be wasted and converted to chips and and uh and and heat yeah heat essentially yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i've just looked up warm gear drives because you can get those uh as a as a metal unit yeah. off of aliexpress um and you can get them up to 100 to 1 so if you want to use like an industrial motor and um just powered with that uh they're in the range of like 150 to 200 mm. bucks including shipping uh maybe a bit more if you depending on what sort of shipping mm. you use um so if you build something you could save a, a lot of money i guess yeah but on the other hand it, it's working with a crank it's working it, it <laughs> yeah. just might look a little bit ridiculous uh but it's a good workout if you're stuck at home currently why why not work out in your basement and chop down some plastic um the thing is i don't want to use it for like huge production of of filament or shredding down material it's 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 more like laboratory size i want to chop down maybe like 300 grams of pla or pet bottles or something like that so if the volume is not too high just cranking that thing for a couple of minutes is, is totally fine yeah uh have you have you actually used that for extruding stuff yet um yes i did i um extruded some in the uh, direct pellet, pellet extruder that was working right. <clears throat> sorry <clears throat> reasonably well well the problem with those shreddings is that since they're not round they are not flowing that well and especially yeah. the pellet extruder needs a really consistent flow of material the the direct extruder yeah the for direct extruder yeah. um so i either need to i don't know after each layer have have a specific g-code included where just the the print head shakes a little that all of the particles <laughs> get down to the auger auger again or add a vibrator motor to it but i don't know if that's really good for for print quality but something in that that direction it might have, might add some differing yeah right. maybe <laughs> um uh, and i also I, also tried yeah. to extrude uh, pt bottles in the filastruder Right. which is unfortunately a little bit challenging because the PET is basically crystallizing during the time it heats up to the melting temperature. Then just at around like 250 degrees Celsius, it just like from one degree to the next gets molten. But then in its molten state has such a low viscosity that it basically just drips out of the nozzle. So oh. I can't use my normal 
setup for it and use the filler winder and, and the material that is just hanging down in something like a, a, a leash configuration. Um, I have so like, other people seen it, the material uh, extrude directly in a bath of water so that for once it okay. cools down very quick, quick, sorry, quickly because otherwise it crystallizes out again. It's it's really interesting to see because you have the translucent material that gets out of the nozzle. Yeah. And then just after like five seconds, you see it becoming opaque because it crystallizes out. It's, it's really cool. And you need to... Okay. Is, is that just an issue with the specific grade of PTG that's used for plastic bottles? Or is that just a generic PTG thing? It's PET. So PETG, the, gly okay. the glycol and the PETG... Right prevents the material from crystallizing out and adds better flow properties and things like that but the pet um is i'm i'm not an expert but it's kind of pure and therefore has the ability to crystallize out if you keep it okay. uh, at a specific temperature for for a long amount of time but that happens quite quickly so how would you extrude a, a PET? So you're saying water bath uh, with something like a multi-stage nozzle where, where your front most or your, yeah, your, your last bit where the nozzle is actually screwed in, where that's colder than the actual melting zone. Mm. Could could something like that be implemented? It could be an option, yeah. It's it's definitely Probably. a good idea. Um, it's it needs, hard needs to... like an, an oil circulation and, a, and an active cooling for, for just cooling down that tip then, I guess. Maybe... Um something in that direction there is uh i think feel uh, this is a problem on many of these simple extruders and i think feel which is also like a manufacturer of, of a simple extruder they have a kind of interesting looking nozzle which is not just well the end part with a hole in it but it looks like a heatsink so Okay. Before the yeah. nozzle, they are heating up the material over the melting temperature and still in the nozzle. So still in like when, when the material is, is trapped in the brass, they are cooling it down again. And they say that that's yep. helping to get a more consistent filament diameter. And that might be I a would, thing I that could so, work yeah. as well. Yeah. Maybe a reason to buy myself a lathe. Good point. Yeah. Uh, I've, got, I've got one of those mini lathes. Yeah. Um, it's it's all right. Uh, I guess it's it's like an end of three. There are a lot of mods that you can do to make it better. <laughs> uh, it's it's kind of usable mm. and it's stayed right out of the box. Mm. Um, you can definitely do stuff on that. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I need to play around with it. I'm I have dried a bit of PET uh, because uh, you should also dry or really keep it dry before you extrude it because yeah. otherwise you, you run into problems. Um, and I really want to uh, run it on my direct pellet extruder because the thing there is, is or at least what I'm hoping is when I lay the material down and directly cool it with a fan, um, this low viscosity of the material is not a problem. It's a yeah, problem for me if I want to create filament with it, but maybe if I directly print it, it might be working better. I mean, bridges and overhangs are going to be an issue, yeah, but, but for, for simple geometries, it should be fine. Let's print uh, bases. 
yeah for basically it should be all right uh one one more note on on the lathe i mean if you need something turned up um that just let me know send me a drawing and i can try to to work something <laughs> up I, I need a reason to to get the lathe out again <laughs> and i need a reason tool. to buy myself a lathe yeah well, i have i have so many projects <laughs> currently going on and i still didn't didn't assemble the the tool changer i actually wanted to start with it this morning but just, ah, did not have enough time so yeah uh, I, I told people you were you were going to do that in the uh, fusion video. Yeah, I will. I will. It's it's right next to me. Uh, I wanted to start with it yesterday, but then I took apart this stupid robo vacuum thing that oh, yeah. robbed me that. like three hours of my life just because of these stupid brushes of that lighter motor. Yeah, so you've got a, a Forvec VR two hundred, or is it? It's your it's actually or it's actually not mine, but a friend okay. asked me, hey you you have those tools to open up stuff and you do like technical things can you take a look at my vacuum because it spits out a error, it's, it's out an error. error. what is it error and 3, i have 000? seen a youtube video that it's it's not hard to fix that yeah three hours later and ah. Oh. Yeah, so you've got, that, that's the the Vorwerk uh, VR two hundred, yeah. which I guess is like mostly identical to the Nido that I have. Okay, I've got the the cheapest one. I've got the Nido D three connected, whatever, which has been working fine so mm-hmm. far. <laughs> but yeah, so it's what what you've shown is is just a little uh, one inch uh, brushed motor exactly. um, that has its its uh, brushes burned out. Yeah. And as I sent you a few links on Twitter. There is like one official, uh, more or less official replacement part that's forty bucks for that. Yeah, motor. I've, looks I've, like I found that, but I don't want to spend forty bucks just for a stupid one dollar motor. That motor, I I've also uh, I've also sent you another one where you can get it on AliExpress for sixty seven cents. Yeah, it looks like it's basically the same motor uh, somebody's commented that it's uh the mabuchi mabuchi 300 uh, series mm. um just look at look at what the rpm are and if it's i mean i, I don't think they're that different it's like three volts it's around yeah. three thousand. if it's on five volts it's around four or five thousand yeah. i it's probably probably it's just that very mm. simple motor that Maybe you've even got in the DVD drive. Yeah, probably. Yeah, um, I, m- I might even have some in my scraps box. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to check once I get I, home. I'm pr- probably going to just just order a couple and, and see uh, if if any one of them works. Unfortunately, there isn't any marking on the motor itself. And mm. I did get it running again yesterday just by bending the brushes back into place but since yeah but two thirds brushes are not gonna last long yeah it, it won't last long but i just wanted to get it back up and running and that i don't have the parts just flying around uh the thing is yeah you fix one thing and you probably screwed up another one <laughs> i don't know that when i too, wanted to start it back up again okay yes. turbine error and i thought okay screw it i'll just put it somewhere and maybe work on it uh, in a couple of weeks again Okay. Yeah, yeah planned obsolescence. Uh, planned sounds obsolescence. like it. Yeah, it's just yeah. hard. It's it's a one thousand dollar or nine hundred euros yeah. vacuum cleaner, and that thing doesn't work anymore because a fifty cent motor has burned up brushes. Oh, uh, because they chose to use the fifty cent motor. That's gonna. I mean, stuff has a lifespan mm. that it is rated for. Yeah. And you know that at the time of, of engineering it and you're doing tests and you know exactly how long it's going to last. Like it's 
I don't think it's it's a surprise to the folks at Nido or mm. at Vorwerk. Uh, and Vorwerk, they oh, usually do have a good reputation for producing stuff that lasts. But I don't know. <clears throat> it's uh, I mean, it's a Silicon Valley uh, vacuum robot, essentially. Okay. It's a Nido. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, actually, I'm actually quite happy with the... God damn it! What is, what is it called? Uh, Dbot that okay. I've got it at the office here. Um, also uses the, the laser scanner mm -hmm. thing, but it's the the software and stuff is mm. like, oh, so much better. Well, we do have a, a Xiaomi at home, and yep. that one is really good. Um, China probably knows how all of our house is is looking due to the lighter <laughs> and the cloud integration and whatever it has. But it's a re really good vacuum cleaner. Gotta say that. Yeah. Yeah, Nido, Nido were kind of the first ones uh, to, to do that, uh, to do the, the proper mapping and stuff, but they've been outmaneuvered maybe yeah. a bit. I only have the Nido because it, it was able to, to climb that, that two centimeter ledge that I have <laughs> from the, um, yeah, in the, going into my living room. Yeah. And I had a, an LG and some others, and, and it was the only one who could climb that. So, yeah. yeah. All right. Anyways, well, can, can, you, can you just print a new motor? Uh, I thought about if I have something lying around to build new brushes yesterday, but then it was already like 8 p.m. and I want yeah. to get on the sofa and it's on Sunday. Frustrating stuff. All right. Okay. Uh, I guess I guess let's let's move on to the elephant in the room. Yeah. Uh, can can we actually say what what this is about without getting demonetized? Uh, the last video wasn't demonetized, so. We oh, yeah. talked about the last two videos, actually. So, yeah, the, the elephant in the room is COVID-19 or Corona or the however you want to call it. SARS-CoV-2. Now, I actually... So, uh, just to follow up with the last video, with the last uh, podcast episode that we did. So, we were talking about, hey, are you going to go to Murph? Uh, you've already said you're probably going to cancel. Um, by the time I had edited... Or yeah, I was I was editing that video... Um, something something changed i think the um uh the travel ban yep. went into into effect and i was thinking about doing i, I had already recorded that i had already recorded a, a little addendum to the episode where i was like okay guys uh so obviously this is i'm uh, not going there and then by the time i had recorded that the news came out that murph was like completely canceled <laughs> so I was like okay whatever screw it yeah. we're going to talk about it on the next one so stuff is really developing quite quickly right now and you know in, in all of germany uh we are in a limited curfew right now mm. well um, you are even more limited on going outside than i am because bavaria true. has the most strict uh i don't know how you say it it, it it's not like qu quarantining at home but people need to stay at home yeah. there, are, there are limitations in place to what what you can do outside your home and who you can meet with and i mean what i'm surprised about is that you you can officially you can still go to work yep <laughs> it's like there's no limitations on that um but like almost all stores are closed all events are canceled um like obviously supermarkets and, and doctors and all that stuff is still open in the full uh in full operation but you're not allowed to meet with friends and, and do stuff uh like for for the rest of germany uh, where a, a state, a Bundesland, doesn't have additional restrictions, you can still meet with a single friend and do stuff together. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah i mean i can i can still go out i can still do uh sports and i can still uh, go to work and uh, i can still do grocery shopping honestly not much has changed for me uh i'm i'm alone at home all day and i'm alone <laughs> in the studio all day uh for, for the rest of the time like not much has yeah. changed a couple of things have oh, have changed for me actually so i i'm for my normal job job well we were sent home at the beginning of last week so basically all of us are now uh working from home so just with the laptop and using skype and if it's working if the bandwidth is is enough but it's surprisingly working quite well um why didn't we do this earlier yeah um but yeah i well i canceled murph i we had to basically cancel our wedding reception because like that would have happened in three weeks and there's no way that we would be allowed to do that at the moment yeah and and even even if it was allowed like i don't think it would be a reasonable thing to to invite you know dozens of people into the same space no uh so are are you still getting married is that still the plan or it's still the plan that we're going to get married um I am suspecting that it's just gonna be me and my fiance going to the Standesamt. Uh, yeah. I don't know how that's called in English. Uh, people will know what you're talking about. Yeah, the the place where you sign the paperwork to be married yeah. in the end. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know if we are. Maybe we're able to at least grab dinner with like parents and um, our best how do you say best man and best is that Trauzeugen? yeah Be- yeah yeah i think it's called best ma- yeah whatever I've, i've not gotten married before <laughs> no no intention to do so for now <laughs> uh but i don't know if that that's gonna happen it it will depend on how the situation looks looks like in three weeks um it is how it is it is sad but since i can't do anything about that um I am I am upset, but I'm not crying all day. It's it it could be worse. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, like as, as always, I think that the most important thing is that you know you stay safe, uh, you take care of your folks, and, and try not to get them infected. Uh, do your part, and, and essentially, right now, doing your part is just doing nothing, just uh, staying at home. Yeah. Very, very simple to do uh unless you're someone who has to like support society by actually leaving your home mm-hmm. uh and uh taking care of those those affected so uh I, yeah shout out to those who are keeping this thing running doctors uh supermarket cashiers uh people in basic maintenance like uh full props um but yeah for everyone else who's who's like not that big of an asset to society i guess uh stay home <laughs> Stay as, as rough as that sounds but yeah um 3d printing is is kind of being praised as a you know ultimate solution to a lot of things right now um i guess so three things we, we're seeing um also shout out to Prusha for actually taking action for doing a lot of good things right now uh they were one of the first folks who, who did uh a thousand liters of, of sanitizer on their uh what was planned to be a resin manufacturing line i think <laughs> um and they were I, I think the um the czech republic is is kind of very low-key on taking action um but they were like hey guys 
employees, you guys stay at home if you can. Um, and also they've designed that that face mask um, design that is now being printed on their farm. Face and shield. Yes, yes, yes. Not not a mask, not a not a you know yeah. particle filter, but an actual droplet shield, I guess. Yeah. Um, so they're printing that. Um, there have been requests in the U.S. Uh, Pooch Repcord has already put out a request uh, for a local hospital that are needing those shields. So if you're in the U.S. or in that area and you can supply those somehow, um, yeah, check them out on Twitter. You can you can definitely make a difference there. Uh, for me, I think shipping stuff around to the U.S. by the time they get there, then I mean it would, would be a bit of a waste. I'm I'm standing at the ready if somebody uh, comes out and says, "Hey, we need." part x printed in material x um yeah there's obviously a lot of projects uh for ventilators which is mm. the one thing that is that is kind of critical to keeping people alive mm. and not available in the quantity needed uh i'm i'm a bit cautious about like praising 3d printing as a hey this is something that that's going to solve this because there's knowing knowing <sighs> As knowing as little as I know about medical, uh, there are you know it's it's one of the the strictest or, or most most regulated areas, uh, and you know printing something that is essential to keeping someone alive. I don't want to be the one who prints something or designs something uh, that ends up not working and, and killing people by, mm. by the dozens. Me neither. Uh, so I also <laughs> see it as a last-ditch effort. And I think we have seen the first thing that has been all over the news like a week ago, the Venturi tubes that were printed in yes. in Italy, which were essential and the manufacturer was not able to like provide them anymore. And those guys were able to manufacture them locally on an FDM 3D printer. Yeah, and then later on, on an SLS machine. On an SLS machine, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was a great solution because probably if they would not have been able to produce those parts, people would have died. Um, on the other hand, I see it in a similar way as, as you were doing that it's, it, we shouldn't rely on 3D printed parts at the moment if we have alternatives just because there are that many regulations and those machines and those parts need to be working. If I'm if I'm currently seeing people print out also those Venturi tubes on their uh, Anycubic printers in some resin, whatever, um, I don't know. Well, as I said, if this is really the last thing you can do and otherwise people would die, I think it's okay. But otherwise... There are reasons why those parts are tested and you don't want to have people breathing air through a resin 3D printed parts that they might might maybe be be allergic to and stuff like that. So yeah. we, we just need to be we just meet, need to pay attention. It's better a than bit. not it's better than not having anything. Exactly. Right. Um like one of the things that, that's come up is um Medical parts are routinely sterilized. Um, they're putting in an autoclave, so high temperature um, sterilization, essentially 130 something degrees. And most 3D printing materials cannot take that temperature, especially yeah. not PLA. Um, so the stuff that is being printed is basically single use. And you kind of need to be aware of that, but also with the with the ventilators, I've had a, a look at 
like the, the requirements for those and the amount of control modes and sensors that go into one of those uh, is neither trivial nor cheap. Yeah. Um, just the, the sensor suite and oxygen sensors and CO2 sensors and all of that, I think that's easily more than a grand in sensors. So th- that, yes, I'm not saying don't try. Yeah. Like it's it's good if if you have if you have the time and the resources to to contribute to those projects, please do. But don't don't take it easily. Don't think, oh yeah, we just somebody's just going to print something and it's going to be the end all solution. It's probably not that easy. Yeah, yeah. So not not saying you shouldn't try, but yeah. Don't, don't me take too. It as a, uh, also, as things like uh, we have seen the the secure door opener or, or things like that. Yeah. I really appreciate those efforts, but we also need to be aware that, uh, for example, the door opener where you just put your arm on it, it should also be like uh, disinfected from time to time because people just sneeze in their arm. How do you say? Arm, 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 Uh, elbow, elbow, other side of the elbow. (laughs) inner elbow inner inner elbow uh so there will be germs on those surfaces and 3d printed parts are known for having like tons of like layer lines and porosity and stuff like that where bacteria and probably also viruses might feel quite happy to 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 be there so so there's right now as far as i'm aware um there's like a three to four day um that's the the current status uh, mm-hmm. on plastics three to four days um the uh novel coronavirus or, or SARS-CoV-2 uh, can survive yeah on an, on a on a plain open surface so it might be longer or shorter on a 3d printed surface yeah. so just be aware of that fact if if you're doing something with uh, 3d printing um do not contribute to to spreading um germs and the virus even more just because you can sanitize your part um so i in the beginning i said i've been printing with like nine different materials this week i want to try out if any 3d printed materials are affected by just submerging them in in ipa for 24 hours and i want to see if right. if like the strength of the part changes this is something what i'm what i'm currently doing because um IPA or alcohol in in general is is currently I think the most used substance for for surface sanitizing. It's a universal sanitizer that's been used for for a long long time. I mm. think the, the that typical dentist smell. Yeah. That's IPA, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's working um, really well because yeah. like the coronavirus has this lipid layer around it and the the alcohol just um I don't know probably dilutes it and and just denaturizes it i don't know yeah which is also why soap just works so well yeah so people wash your hands exactly it it works simple simple soap solution um but i guess two two more notes on 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 the stuff being printed um there are uh, where to start okay there's this one thing going around with that mask that apparently some copper infused filament manufacturers putting out that's just a looks like a mask but it just has a little whole grid thing in it uh that probably or some people have called out doesn't really do anything <sighs> um 
Yes and no. I, I I think they were kind of misunderstood because I've seen that as well. I have also read the papers on that copper-infused filament where uh, they said, okay, it's, it's really good against bacteria and viruses and stuff like that. So how I see it is that they just made another design for a 3D printable mask, but you need to add a an additional filter to it to like okay. the grid structure on the side. And they even have uh, pictures showing what you could put in there. But the thing is, and I think what people misunderstood was that um, they are not saying that their copper-infused PLA will disinfect the air that is going into there, but it's just i think keeping keeping the part cleaner in the end okay okay yeah that, that that's one of the one of the issues with reusable masks um like the the half mask that i have that yeah. has the the exchangeable filters yeah. the mask body itself would need to be sterilized as well yeah so you still need to add an additional filter but one of the yeah. the problems that i see with those 3d printed masks in general is that I think it's kind of hard to get them to really um, seal, up, seal well. up to your face because yeah. if they don't seal up and then your DIY filter that you put on there with cotton swabs and I don't know, probably socks or something like that, th that you that you put on the mask has such a high resistance on, on taking air in, you will just suck air through, right. through the slits and then you... Um, then then no filtering will be happening so this is yeah. kind of the bad thing about those designs yeah which is why you know masks are typically flexible both the reusable ones yeah. are like a silicone rubber and the surgical masks also of course conform to your face yeah. they don't i mean surgical masks don't seal up all that well but my my current uh what what i've read is like they're better than nothing they're i mean yes they they don't filter down to the particle size that you'd need to actually catch uh the virus itself yeah but they will still catch droplets yeah they will still take those out of the air uh and at least contain them for a while and of course you then throw the mask away before all that stuff evaporates and the, the virus is, is on its on the loose again but they're better than nothing they keep you funds from sneezing on people they keep you to a certain extent uh from breathing particles in mm. droplets in uh and even like household items are better than nothing uh they they might give you a false sense of security yeah but they do something in yeah. in uh filtering out droplets i really appreciated your effort in in making your mask especially those with the um with the valves more that was that was like, work. um how do you say more social more that you're not yeah. only like protecting yourself, but also protect others from your exhaust gas. Yeah, because so G Gina has actually been been doing the hard Ooh, work. Yeah. I just posted the idea. Okay, uh, because yeah, uh, no, no, no. Go ahead. Yeah. What, what's the so, issue? So, so with with masks, especially with the reusable ones, where you have the, the filters on the side, and then you have that center exhaust or exhale exhaling valve, is yeah, you're filtering everything that you take in, but then you breathe out your exhaled air without any sort of filtering so i know if, if you're sweating without within that mask body at times you you breathe out and it's just a you're just spitting yeah. out uh your, your condensated water so you really get a lot of stuff out of that exhaust or exhaling valve and also the the uh, simple non-reusable mask that have that little mm -hmm. center section that's also an unfiltered exit for um 
for your exhaled air to to exit through so i've actually posted that with the reusable 3m mask body and and gina jumped onto that um octoprint uh octoprint developer obviously um and she designed a little like clip on part uh, over the mask that she has the reusable one that she's using for like uh, resin prints and stuff uh that just clips on and adds a little bit of filter fabric which again is better than nothing uh yeah just yeah nice it doesn't only yeah. keep you safe but maybe also prevents yeah. well you from from spreading anything bad because as especially with us younger folks we might not really feel that that unhealthy even if if we might be infected so yeah don't uh, only protect protect yourself but also protect uh yeah your surrounding yeah yeah um again all of this information might not be up to date anymore by the time you you hear it um but my last info status is that like 30 percent of the people or 30 percent of the infections have no symptoms at all mm. and probably there are even more that are not being found because they're not showing symptoms that are carrying the virus but are just you know and are infectious but are not showing mm. any signs of uh, of an infection so the the advice right now is act as if you are infected to keep it from spreading further yeah all right um so let's move on let's yeah. move on uh wash your uh, wash your hands uh do social distancing don't touch your face like i'm yeah, doing as, all as of the time are... uh, it's horrible <laughs> At, at, there, least, there at be... least when I'm outside, I really try not to touch my face. But I don't know, just with all of the pollen outside, uh, my mm. face and my nose gets itchy from time to time. Yeah, there, uh, that, that might actually be a, 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 an AI a neural network thing where you have a, a camera trained on you and, and just you know flashes of light whenever your <laughs> hand goes near your face. Or you just do that thing where, where you tie down your hands to your, uh, to your belt and it's like... Yeah. Eh! You can't, you can't actually this get up this there. would be a good uh do you know Mike, michael reeves uh yeah, yeah. yeah uh maybe something like getting tasered when the ai detects that you're touching your face yeah <laughs> new viral video would, would <laughs> oh yeah viral in the ah <laughs> <laughs> oh, we shouldn't laugh about that okay uh yeah let's no, go on but... maybe another just short topic on the news before you get to questions. Um, there is a new Thingiverse. Well, it's it's the same old Thingiverse. It just looks different. Yeah, it looks it looks different. Uh, it looks more modern, but it still works as horrible or even more horrible than it worked before. Because I think search is not really working. It's crazy slow. Oh, and it now has just ads. Yeah. Uh, okay. Just check that you, you, because it's it's three p.m. right now. Your your next appointment is at four. Okay. Yeah. I'm fine. I was just trying to trying to check the window. Okay. We're not getting you in trouble. No worries. Uh, yeah. So Thingiverse now ad supported. Somebody had commented that it's why is it now MakerBot Thingiverse? But I think that that branding has been up there for a while. Yeah. Um, but it now looks. Bland, I guess, is is what it what I'd call it. You open it up and it just looks like, uh, I guess, Pinterest more or less. Mm -hmm. It's, I I think mm. it's still kind of appealing. I have to be totally honest. I don't like my mini factory because 
it's so I always have the feeling that it's overcomplicated. I always like Thingiverse. I don't know if I just like Thingiverse more because I use it more often, but I don't really hate the new looks of it, but it's still slow. It's still like the search is not working properly, but at least we are seeing that uh, MakerBot is putting da- some development effort in Thingiverse. Yeah. Maybe they're they're going to upgrade their server at some point that their servers are, <laughs> are able to cope no, with I'm the sure traffic. It's just a single server in someone's basement yeah. with how slow it is. <laughs> uh, at, at least today it is uh, it is loading up a bit more quickly. Yesterday I tried to download something from there uh, to print on the live stream and it took like five or ten minutes to even load up. Yeah, but this is still because all of the US is at work or sleeping or something like that. That's true. That's true. I think tonight it's going to be worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is always nice to have some competition, um, whether it's with hardware or whether it's with, with platforms. Obviously, Pusher Printers is, is up and coming in a, in a big way and they're, they're promoting the crap out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Ultimaker has Umagine, which is there, I guess. It exists. Never um, used it. I, I, I've just, I've, I've started just uploading everything onto Pusher Printers, Umagine, and Thingiverse. Just to have it up on on all the platforms. If if one goes down, my stuff is still going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, nice that they're that they're working on it. I yeah, guess. I try to actually import um, all of my Thingiverse files into Prusa printers, but it did not work. I don't know if they also changed the the API in the background, mm-hmm. or I don't know. I think Prusa printers is not even using an API. API and they're just like yeah I was gonna say that uh is there even a thing versus API I think I mean, if you're just scraping the page yeah. uh, you could import that as well there uh, is um an Android and um and an iOS app which is called oh, I can't remember anymore um that has a really nice integration of, of Thingiverse in on on the phone but I was always assuming that they are using a an API because it looked really good. Oh, there is an API. Okay. Okay. Let's yeah. Up. Thingiverse developers. Thingiverse.com slash developers. REST API. Yeah. yeah. We'll see what will change. Um, it's nice that something is happening, but yeah. I think okay. just time will show. Looks different. Um, I mean, the, the, the looks on Thingiverse are one thing, but... Um, Actually, one of the bugs that was relevant a few months ago was where you would create a new file or a new design and you'd have the description and uh, all the details filled out from some other part on the platform, <laughs> whether that was a, uh, a, a a draft that somebody else had saved or mm. it was just a random other part. Uh, it's it's bugs like that where it's like, hey, guys, are, are you actually using that platform? Are you actually looking into it? And apparently they, they are still maintaining it. Yeah. At least on the, on the design side. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, let's get on with questions because we are already too too long in. <laughs> um, I mean, pe- people people can use a bit of extra uh, distraction at this time, I guess. Yeah, you're right. <clears throat> All right. First one, um, and I also already did a bit of research in that regard. George Elliott yes. is, ask- is is asking because we have been discussing about resin curing in 
the last podcast, uh, he is asking, the Formlabs printer uses a very high power laser to cure, doesn't it? Um, I think the chemistry of the resins it uses needs more power or more time than typical LCD shutter printers, which is why their cure station takes more time. So, yeah, you just wanted to start? Yes. So high power laser, what, what would you consider a high power laser? Uh, or a very high power, I mean, a very high power laser would be 500 watts or something in, in my book. <laughs> um, so just, just to give you guys a, a bit of, of reference, like typical laser cutters uh, are like 60 watt CO2 lasers. Um, DVD burners are the typical 250 milliwatt, so 0.25 watt. Um, and like the Mr. Beam or like add-on laser cutter things are like two and a half to five watts. So those are dangerously high powered at two and a half to mm. two and a half to five watts. Those can instantly blind you, or at least uh, you know sear your um, what's it called? That's how it retina. Your retina, yeah. Those can instantly burn your retina. Um, so what did you find out? How high power is the laser in the uh, Formlabs printer? So. Um, I found <laughs> two two things on the Formlabs page. One was saying that they're using a 250, 250 milliwatt laser. The other one said that it's just like a 160 milliwatt laser, but just something in that ballpark around 150 right. to 250 milliwatts. So just as much as a CD burner, for example. Yeah. So I wouldn't really call that high powered. It's more powerful than than a laser pointer, but yeah, not not really like kill, killing beam strong. Yeah. So it's a, it's a decent power. Okay. Yeah. So so I yeah, I did go, some go rough calculation. Um, we know well. I, I assumed that we have a two hundred and fifty milliwatt laser and a laser spot that is one hundred forty micrometers in diameter. That gives us a energy density of around 16 watts per square millimeter when the laser is turned on. Right, that's not a whole lot. That is not a whole lot. Um, as a comparison, I took, for example, the Elegoo Mars that has a 40 watt LED panel uh, below it. And that LED panel is exposing a 120 by 86 millimeter uh, screen. All right. You uh, pointed out that the polarization of the screen takes away 50% of that power. So yeah. probably 20 watts of UV LED light is really hitting the screen or no, hitting the resin. And that would give us an energy density of 0 0.0025 uh, watts per square millimeter, oh. yeah, which, okay. yes, yes, yes. which is by orders of magnitude lower than in the Formlabs printers. But the thing is, the Formlabs printer or, or any SLA printer that has a Galvo scanner and moves that laser point through the resin uh, is moving. So um, any, any like resin particle won't see that energy all of the time only for a very brief moment so if yeah. you assume a scanning speed of around 200 millimeters a second i don't know how fast they are really scanning um you get um an energy density or is that 
joule. Yeah, that's an energy density. The f before it was a power density. Now it's an energy density. Yep. An energy density of 0.01 joules per square millimeter. And if you assume an eight millimeter exposure time on the Elegu Mars, you get 0 0.02. An eight, eight second exposure. Yeah. Uh, eight seconds exposure time, you get 0 0.02 joules per square millimeter. Uh, maybe I put this calculation also down in the description that you maybe can follow along. There... But the thing is, um, we have 0 0.01 joules per square millimeter on the Formlabs printer and on the Elegu printer, we have 0 0.02, which is just, double of that so we are right around in the same ballpark yeah so, and and of course there are a few assumptions going into yeah. this uh both with the laser that it's 100 percent efficient and that all the laser power is focused on at one spot mm. uh now with the i i, I do have yeah we, so one one other thing about the um the led of course that is also assuming that you're not having any losses that you're not having uh that that all the energy is actually focused onto your your lcd itself and there's no light escaping anywhere else yeah uh however there, there are two questions about efficiency because you, you're you're doing joules per square millimeter you're assuming a hundred percent efficient led yeah you assume that that a hundred percent of those forty watts are going into UV light, and it's probably, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it, and it is it is way less than that. It's uh, probably less than ten percent. I don't have the exact figures for for the LEDs they're using, but it's mm -hmm. definitely less than ten percent of the energy that goes into the LED that comes out as usable light. Um, a lot, you know, the rest is just wasted as heat. You are, yeah, you're totally right there, and I don't know how the the laser is characterized but just yes. for what i know is that usually really the the light power is characterized so 250 yeah. milliwatt means that not 250 milli milliwatts of electrical energy goes into the laser diode but really 250 milliwatts of light energy comes out Usable, of it yeah that, that was going to be my, my next question because yeah. that's been my my understanding as well that leds are input power and lasers are rated as output power yeah. so the math is is right for for lasers for the mars it's probably mm -hmm. a bit lower i don't know um it might also be that the laser is scanning faster but it's in mm -hmm. the same it's still in the same order of magnitude yeah. there may be a factor of you know two three or four mm -hmm. um between something like the mars and uh the formlabs machine itself but also the what's, what's been brought up is that the curing times are a bit different between the two machines so um my take is just that the formless printer is curing the part wait then it would it would be curing it actually more in the printer there may be a difference in in resin formulations but i don't think it's it's that big so we also had one comment from more mix more uh and well he he seems to be educated in in that direction and he was saying that sla resins are generally epoxy based and lcd or dlp resins are acrylic based so probably the, right. the resin formulations are a little bit different in that regard so um yeah this might be the reason why curing time is different but also just thinking about the the, the calculation again i think it's not really about the time that you're curing the part but really how much uv light energy you're getting yeah. into the part and this is 
then activating the poly polymerization of the resin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they are they are in the same ballpark. Yeah. They are roughly comparable. Um, but since you're saying one is acrylic, the other is epoxy, like I wouldn't just take a standard Elegoo resin and, and dump it into a form lab printer and expect it to work, and vice versa. Um, but yeah, it's the the chemical process is the same uh, that's happening almost. Mm. I mean, acrylic versus epoxy, but the the, the base principle is the same. Um, and yeah, the energies used are very similar. Yeah. Okay. Um, we we probably could get more in details uh, on yeah, that, but, but I think we for that are... we should probably research a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. next question by George. Hey guys, I was wondering for a 3D printed CNC, what material should I use? I know rigidity is king, so I thought to use the diamond filled PLA. Stefan tested. Any thoughts? Thanks. What did so you use to print your MC MPCNC? PLA. Okay. But with with the design of the MPCNC, I think the printed parts matter very little uh, for how rigid it, it turns mm -hmm. out. Maybe for the Z-axis, but for everything else, it's 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 most. I mean, the three D printed parts work like zip ties mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. Uh, the structure really comes from the metal tubing that you're putting in. So. Yeah, I mean we've we've both done uh, tests on PLA versus ABS versus uh, PTG, and in general PLA is still uh, the stiffest one of those. Mm -hmm. um, PTG is a bit more elastic, and ABS is, is very elastic, and which which is also what makes it so impact resistant. But PLA is a good start, yes. Uh, and you have the experience of how much of a difference the uh, diamond filling makes uh, for how the, the stuff crystallizes and, and what difference it makes in practice. Well, the diamond filling added a lot of rigidity to the material. Um, and this is a good point where you say, okay, this part is really important and needs to be stiff. Uh, but the thing in the end is, is it necessary to use that material or just to make the part bigger? and just spend a little bit more material. Yeah, make um, it chunkier. Yeah. I think what you also should take into consideration is creep. Yes, um, definitely. So if you have preloaded parts in your CNC that you either clamp down or you, you use to, to um, just pre-tension belts and something even, like that, PLA if might... Just have the even if you just have the head of a screw pressing against the printed yeah. part. PLA yeah. might not be the best option because PLA is prone to creeping. Um, so if you apply a constant load on a part, it will slowly deform under it. So if you have pretension, the pretension might be gone after a while and other materials are supposed to be better in that regard. Have we actually done any uh, testing on this? No, I have been working on that for quite a while, and I okay. did a couple of test parts, but I'm I wasn't 100 happy about the re about my setup yet. I'm I'm still working on that topic because I think it's right. really important. But we talked um, about that I think already a couple of times. Yeah, and I've I mean just 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 one note up. I've seen creep on on any plastic, and it's I think it's an inherent property of of just a plastic it uh, is aluminum creeps aluminum creeps too um just not as much uh yeah just 
just putting that out there. But the amount of creep, yeah, is, is depending on the polymer itself. It's depending on temperature. It's depending on how much percentage of, for example, the yield point you have reached. It's also depending on if you have an amorphous material or a crystalline material, because an amorphous material is just, I think, more prone to creeping as a crystallized. That would be, yeah, my... Yeah, yeah, um, sounds, sounds about right. Yeah. The, so what 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 can you do? Uh, make your parts chunkier, just because it's not just the screw heads that compress into the material. It's yeah. also the geometry warping. Make your parts chunkier. Uh, make sure they're not stressed as much, um, and also use big washes, I guess. Yeah. Maybe also use at specific locations other materials, especially if, for example, you're clamping down your. Um, your router, uh, maybe print that out of ABS, ASA, or PTG because uh, the temperatures might be higher there. Um, also, maybe take a look in which loca- in in which direction the parts are loaded, and if you have parts that are loaded, like in between the layers, use a material that has good layer adhesion. And um, for example, ASA is at least what I have tested so far, and also ABS can suffer in that regard from time to yep. time. And there, it might be better to use PTG or even PLA. Yeah, though, though, like ultimate strength is, I think, rarely an issue with uh, these machines. It's more how no. rigid can you build them. Um, so, layer adhesion probably doesn't doesn't make that much of a difference because your parts are really going to fail. And if they fail, you've loaded them. Yeah. too much for their own good anyways where they yeah. are going to start creeping yeah um as a cnc well a cnc router or even one of these big cncs they are usually not designed to be as lightweight as possible but you put as much material in as you can afford and make it just as rigid as possible and it's sometimes way easier to add more rigidity by just changing the dimensions of a part than to use um, a different material. For example, PTG has the Young's modulus of 2000, PLA of 3000. So PLA is basically 50% stiffer than PTG. But if you take a look at at a section that is under bending, um, the bending stiffness of a bar is by the power of three depending on on like the width or the height of it so just by making it a little bit higher in like the bending bending direction uh, will add way more rigidity to the to your part than just changing the material yeah absolutely yeah so yeah uh you can definitely do printed parts but i guess just if if you're custom designing parts a general tip um use use printed parts not for structure use uh like aluminum tubing that you're adding fixtures on to to con- or, or connectors or stuff out of out of uh plastic and don't do like the entire if you're doing a, a gantry router don't do the entire sides uh out of a th- out of a printed uh part but maybe have one beam across one beam going down uh and then use printed parts for like the connectors between yep. uh your aluminum parts and the bearings or, or whatever else you're using i even use wood or use wood yeah. yeah uh which i guess i guess let's let's quickly talk about that uh we we are we are gonna uh start a challenge at some point we, we, <laughs> we still need to um 
to set the uh, the exact parameters and exact conditions for that. But we we're both in the position where we where we would like to have something that can mill proper materials. Um, but we also kind of want to build something. So at some point, we're going to put out a challenge uh, where we both design and build a uh, a CNC router mill, a compact one that does, I think, 30 by 30 centimeters is what we what we settled on. Um, out of wood or out of out of well, we, we still need to decide, to decide what Easy, exactly easily do. workable material. Yes, yes, that you can cut with I don't know a jigsaw and a, and a cordless drill. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess like rough ballpark. Again, we, we still need to to discuss this in detail. But rough ballpark, I, I thinking like a budget of like a thousand or fifteen hundred euros or something, so we can get some ball screws in there and some nice linear rails. Yeah. And then you know set a part like cut this thing out of. Uh, 275 uh, steel in this amount of time to this precision <laughs> do something like that something like that yeah <laughs> yeah so see if it works out uh, that's that's really going to be interesting because it's it's i mean it's nice to have like large routers and stuff mm-hmm. but uh for the most part it's it's kind of the same with 3d printers for the most part like you you have a router because you want to work with materials that you can't print um and you can, I mean, you can jigsaw a lot of things out of wood, uh, but really, if, if you want aluminum or steel, you will need to route that with a mm. with some CNC tool. And usually, those parts are not that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, we we will uh, discuss about like the specifications and then uh, get to work on it and just see in the end what we come up with. Yeah, only problem right now is home improvement stores are closed. Yeah, but for you. I guess, I guess, well, for me, yeah. For, <laughs> Let's uh, start the challenge. <laughs> no, I, I guess, uh, I, I think Mutatis uh, or other shops yeah. are still doing like custom cut plywood um, sections that yeah. they will ship to you. Yeah, I, I think there is, well, we still have have, have a bit of time to, to get everything set up yeah. and hopefully at but that let's, point. Let's Let's not procrastinate on stuff. No, uh, but you need to help me in that way because I'm a big procrastinator. Yeah, well, I'm, I don't think I'm much of a help with that. <laughs> I'm much different. Uh, uh, all right. Uh, yeah, let, let's continue. Uh, well, we are already so far in. Um, Darren, Darren Brunner is asking, wait, E3D actually does quality control on okay. the Hemera? Sorry, but there are so many reports of problem with those however mine has been working well so far fingers crossed yeah so we've, we've both been at e3d we've both seen their um factory or at least their assembly line uh and we both know that they do actually do quality control as one should yeah so the i, I think they're following like industry standard uh processes where it's i mean they're not testing every single one in full detail on their optical inspection machine and all um but they are doing sample testing, one every 10 units or one every 100 units, depending on how many uh, bad ones they find. And they do do visual inspection, a quick, I mean, they assemble them there. They do a quick visual inspection of uh, whether everything looks right. So, yeah, they, they are doing quality testing. Yeah. We talked about that already, I think, on the last podcast. People will... <laughs> 
complain and people will yeah people will complain if if something is not working um not that many will say okay everything is great so we usually only see like the bad reviews just as it is on amazon there well unless the manufacturer is buying reviews that's a whole different story um there are Obviously, there are a lot of Himeras out there, so you will see if there's like 0.1% of them uh, which have a fault, or I don't know what exactly the number is, uh, you will see a lot of people complaining, obviously. Mm. Um, And with a company that has a reputation of of having, well, at least that's my impression, uh, with a reputation of of having good products being like in the the premium market, you do have expectations that if I buy something, it's going to work. Yeah. Whereas with a lower end product, yeah, you are going to easily shoulder a few issues and, and just work through them. Whereas with H3D, you just, you just expect it to be good. Yep. All right. So, yeah. Yeah. Shit happens. Uh, they caught it. They're, they're sending out replacements. Yeah. They're handling it pretty well, I think. Yeah. Don't have a good reputation with uh, shipping out flawless extruders with the Titan Arrow and, and all that bearing <laughs> stuff. But uh, yeah. working on it. <laughs> All right, uh, George is asking, do you think Fusion 360 will integrate non-planar 3D printing? I heard they hold a patent or something. I have no further information on that. <laughs> do you think they will integrate non-planar printing? would be nice. They've got the, the, the experience, the expertise uh, from all the cam strategies. Yeah, they have all of these three-dimensional passes. I don't know if they will be doing it, but I think they would be in a quite good position with all of their knowledge in uh, just like conventional machining. So yeah, we we could hope for that. If they hold a patent in that direction, I don't know if anybody knows something, please post it down in the comments. Yeah, and again, it, it would be, since there is the option to add more information about the model and how it's used and how it's loaded in Fusion 360, I think it would be a good candidate. Uh, for integrating that sort of non-planar printing, not just for being able to print features that it wouldn't otherwise be, but also mm. for optimizing the orientations uh, to where the part is mechanically the most useful. Yeah. All right. Uh, David Mulligan is asking, I have run into trouble with PETG and PLA filament. I've read in several... White PETG. And PLA filament. Oh, white PETG and PLA filament. I have read in several places that titanium dioxide used in the pigment makes white a difficult color to print with. Any thoughts? I mean, he would like to see CNC Kitchen look into that, so <laughs> that's on you. <laughs> uh, I have been scared in the past that that, that the titanium dioxide which is kind of hard and abrasive might have a negative effect on the nozzle if you're t- really yeah 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 but it's, it's such small it's such small particles does it really yeah i okay okay i i could assume that so you, you you're afraid of printing white i'm afraid of printing white no um to be honest <laughs> I think it's more an optical thing that you see flaws better on a white surface as you do it with a couple of other colors just due to the contrast and things like that. But um, yeah, I have a bunch of different colored filaments behind behind me where I want to do... Same manufacturer? Same manufacturer. Sorry, I have a couple of different colored 
filaments from the same manufacturer, which also yeah. includes white and gray, uh, where I want to see how the strength is affected. And maybe we can also see if, if there is a difference in print quality. But so far, I think it's more an optical thing. And I have noticed that also in the past, especially also with uh, gray filaments. Gray filaments often yeah. look really, really horrible. Non-metallic grays. Um, yeah. And I was in the live stream yesterday. I've, I've printed the thing in white. Uh, which not only is hard to show on camera because it's it's just getting overexposed, but also likes to show imperfections. Yeah. So yeah, there's a reason why why glittery and and metallic filaments are so popular. It's just they just look good, even if they have the same flaws uh, in printing. All right, next one, more mix Moore. I already talked about him. Uh, just couple of minutes before um he wrote some really interesting comments below the last podcast number 31 so if you're interested just check them out um one of the things that he also mentioned is curing parts under water or under glycerin um which might be beneficial for for the strength and the curing process itself um have you ever cured your parts in water or in glycerin, or have you heard about that? I've, I mean, I've definitely heard about it. It comes up quite regularly. I've not tried it yet, um, but it is something that comes up. You've mentioned that it's like a, an anaerobic curing process; that it, you know, oxygen isn't very helpful in that. I think the so, idea behind that is uh, keeping oxygen away from the part during the curing process, and I think I have read an article on Pio Poly or something like that. If I find it, I'll, I'll link it down below. If anyone else has uh, experience in that field or, or knows a paper or something like that, please please let us know and um, post it down in the comments. So, yeah, from, from what I've heard is, yeah, it, it is uh, the curing process itself when there is oxygen present, it's not going to cure properly, which is why some resins, I guess, uh, leave you with a very slimy and, and and uncured surface, even though you think you've you've cured it properly and, and that stuff doesn't ever cure. Mm. Um, but it, it must be different between resins. Because if you compare, for example, uh, the Wanhao resin, mm -hmm. where that phenomenon is... Oh, accentuated, uh, amplified. It's where it's very, very noticeable that you're always left with a slimy part. Um, the Prusa stuff, the Prusa resins, uh, you wash those off, you put them in the, in the CW1 and they just come out bone dry. Mm. So it, it must be something that has to do with the exact resin formulation. Mm. Cool. Yeah. And the last question from Pavel... Um, for 3D printing, what are your favorite thread profiles for print-to-print -print fastening? So he's listing up uh, trapezo trapezoidal, pipe threads, machine threads, so uh, regular ISO threads, I guess. Buttress, which I don't know what they are exactly, wood threads, etc. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of different thread profiles. A lot of them are very similar, like pipe thread and, and regular machine thread, or at least the, the DIN ISO um, threads, metric threads are very similar in, in how they look. They've just got a slightly different thread angle. Uh, yeah, Stefan, do, do you have any specific favorite that you're using? I do, use do, you ever, do you ever actually screw parts together? Um, well, 
I already made a couple of videos about the threaded inserts and also compared them to just printing threads or cutting threads into 3D prints. Right. And printing normal ISO threads works really well and is really strong if you don't over-tighten them. But that is that is using an actual uh, metal manufactured screw that threads into your print. Okay. Uh, what about if you have... Do okay, yeah. If you have like a, a two some, parts, yeah, I'm two screwing. parts that actually two printed mm. parts that screw that screw together, you're not going to be printing an M4 yeah. thread. You're going to be printing like a 60, yeah. 80 millimeter thread. Yeah. My 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 speaker project, my uh, M3SK, the the three printed experimental speaker, actually uses printed threads. Yeah. Um, which is standard metric threads. Yeah. yeah. I also been using plenty of metric threads in my projects for screwing parts together. Now I understand the question pro properly. And um, it usually works works really well. Um, sometimes it's good to use the lower pitch profiles because they are a little bit deeper. Uh, the so coarser. The, the so the coarser coarse threads. threads. Yeah, the coarser right. threads. Um, but so far, if you just... On one side of the thread, threads, remove just one tenth or two tenth of material. A huge, wide uh, variety of uh, of different uh, threads work really well. Uh, I actually have have a project in front of me. Uh, my oh, digital egg drop egg. It also has M. What's that? I think M thirty four or something. Uh, just normal ISO threads works really well. You can screw it together. <laughs> Now the the difference in uh, buttress threads it's uh, that's hard to find the difference in the different uh, thread profiles. So, for example, from using a metric thread to a trapezoidal is how much or how efficient they are essentially. So, mm -hmm. how much of your torque goes into actually driving your thread forward versus jamming it in place and that's something that i found, for example, in the in the M3SK speaker project where uh, the standard metric thread actually does jam a lot more than you would want in a if, if it was cut from steel and you just have your irregular thread um the because the metric threads have a 60 degree um thread angle you do get a lot of shear action and a lot of of, of compression mm. in the thread as you tighten it down with a trapezoidal one you probably get a a, a connection that is more easy more easily open up again mm. Uh, so really it, it kind of depends on what you're going to be using it for uh, there is a limit to how good the definition of your printer are and how faithfully it's going to repro reproduce those threads so at a small size if you like under let's say five millimeters or so uh, really it's not going to matter what thread profile you choose because they're all going to just be like one or two layers in and out so the, the only important thing is going to be pitch and maybe thread depth um but at the larger ones like the m80 i think that i'm using for for the m, m m3sk uh it might actually be a good option to use a, a trapezoidal just to, mm. to make it a bit easier to crack apart again mm. yeah never thought about well never thought about using a, a different thread profile because it usually works well with the with the just normal iso threads but yeah depending on the application some maybe another profile might be uh, might be usable. That's also the reason why lead screws have usually trapezoidal profiles and not just yeah. the standard ISO profiles because they have they're more efficient in 
translating a translational, well, sorry, a rotation, a rotation in, a, in a translation. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Again, what learned? Again, what learned? <laughs> That's something that, that no native English speaker is going to get, but uh, <laughs> German, Germans will know what we're talking about. Yeah. I think that's it for today, Tom. Uh, it has, God. I think, well, oh, we're almost, almost at two hours. Well done. Well done. Well I'm, done. I'm still feeling energetic. I, I could go on for another hour or so. Yeah, me but too. But I have, I have a meeting in like yeah. 25 minutes. So... <laughs> Yeah. Um, as always, thank you all for joining in. Thank you all for for listening in. Yeah, it's thank you so been, much. Yeah, Stefan, it's it's been a pleasure. Same here. Uh, yeah, I I think uh, since since you're not going to Malta Maker Fair and to Murph, there's nope. definitely going to be another episode in in two weeks. So we'll try. Yeah. If you have questions and you want us to discuss them, leave them down below. Um, and if you want to support us, there are Patreon links down below. Also check out our main channels and spread the word. Yeah. Share it on your social, on your favorite social media, because that's where, where people are right now, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. Okay. Stay safe, guys. Take care. See ya. Thanks for joining in. Bye.